Warning, Star Trek from the holodeck contains adult language and discussions. If you're easily offended, do not continue to listen. Walk it alone! Fire! Holodeck 3 program is reinstated. Open sesame! Commander Klingon vessel. We are energizing transport of him. Now. Hello, welcome everyone to Star Trek from the Holodeck. This is the Picard edition, and I'm your host, Michael Flores. And in the studio to discuss the season two finale of Star Trek Picard is Ensign David Sabal. Hello, David. We've made it, Mike. We've made it without any any hiccups. Without any what? Without any hiccups. Yeah, not a lot of hiccups. I will say, David, I feel confident in saying that this season was a success. They did it. They brought this season to a satisfying conclusion. They pretty much connected every dot. Some of those dots though connected were left without complete closure. No doubt due to the writers setting things up, I can only assume, for the greater Star Trek universe as well as Picard's third and final season. And we will get to those before we close out today's episode because there's some big ones. There are some big dots that were connected and also left open-ended. So we'll see where those go. I admit I had my doubts, Dave, with this season. I believe I said as much during our opening discussion when the season first started. But in my opinion, the writers did a great job overall with this season. It wasn't perfect, but... But nothing is perfect very often, right? It's hard to get anything. Has there ever been a perfect TV show? Maybe Breaking Bad, perhaps? Battlestar Galactica, maybe? Maybe. Even The Shield? The Shield, possibly, yes. Um, But it had some narrative issues within the mid-portion of the season. But the beginning, I don't know, one through four, the first four episodes and the final two to three episodes worked well enough to overlook those issues. Yeah. The, the middle of the season issues. And Dave, I can imagine you're pretty stoked that we finally got Wesley Crusher <laughs> as the traveler. And I say finally, because you have been saying the traveler would show up since the first season of discovery. I wanted to absolutely throw my, my notebook that I was taking notes with as soon as Wesley Crusher showed up. I was like going, God damn it. <laughs> I knew it. I knew I just had to be patient, Mike. Yeah, if I throw enough patient. spitballs at the wall, something's <laughs> going to stick. Something's going to stick. And do you realize this season, a lot of my predictions have been all spot on. And David. Which I, is scary. It is scary. It's scary. Um, I don't like a lot of your ideas. Exactly. Some of your, some of your ideas. I don't like some of my ideas. <laughs> some of your ideas are terrifying. But these writers managed to make these ideas work in ways that I really didn't see happening. The Q thing was one of your ideas years ago. Yes. The Borg Queen aspect was your (laughs) idea. idea. (laughs) Wesley Crusher being the Traveler was something you had been hoping we would see based on other aspects of, I want to say Star Trek Discovery had some minor illusions where we could see the traveler making yes, his entrance, making his entrance it ended up not working that way. 
However, what they did here, in my opinion, worked. And the way they fleshed out the traveler's importance ultimately is the key. I'm not one for bringing things into a show and saying, hey, guys, look, remember Wesley Crusher as the traveler? Put your hands together. I'm about intent. Yes. Make me excited, but also be sure it's not just excitement. Make sure there's a a story motivator there. That was that is my problem with a lot of successful franchises. For example, the MCU for one, the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Yeah. They have relied on Easter eggs and things that fans just want to see so they can get the applause effect. Yes. Without really dissecting within that writing room whether or not it's going to work in a big way for the overall story. Whereas here with the traveler, it did. In fact, it wasn't just a big swinging dick moment. Hey guys, remember the traveler? There is some intent here. There is an importance because they connected the traveler to the cosmos, or I guess you can say the universe. They are the super beings that we've been talking about that are in charge of recruiting and dispatching the super, the supervisors. Supervisors. And it makes sense because, like, when you look at the supervisors and what their whole premise was, back to, going back to even Gary Seven, yeah, well, is they're supposed to be kind of like watchers. They're supposed to be protectors of the time timelines. and Important events, yeah. Important events. And that's why when Wesley returns and he basically makes the – and he tells – um, I don't want to say Soji, but basically the uh, Corey. Mm-hmm. But you tell, but he tells Corey, our job is to maintain and just watch. Yeah, we're supposed to watch and make sure that everything goes at, according to plan. Yeah, I think that's awesome because you you have you essentially have this story thread introduced more than fifty years ago. Yep, and they managed to connect something that was introduced. 30 years ago, 20 years apart. And I'm good. I'm the traveler be- and the supervisors, you bring them together in a meaningful way. And then boom, it works very well for your season. That's the benefit. When you have a franchise that is 50 plus years, the possibilities are endless. You can always, of course, come up with original ideas, but there's always going to be some things that might've fallen through the cracks that you can then utilize uh, to craft a more current season. And that's why I liked it because it wasn't just, Hey guys, remember the travelers? No, they connected it with multiple facets. Yes. Within star Trek. Yeah. And I'll, I'll be, I'll say this for the first time before season three comes out, Mike, I'm hoping that basically the traveler storyline plays more of a role in season three. I'm sure it will. Because I honestly think, especially when we get further into the discussion about certain plot points in the yeah. finale, I just have this inkling that there's a bigger game that's going to happen. Now that Picard has gotten the quote unquote introspective moment for his character. Now it's time to really give that character the big send off and the big farewell that he deserves. Yeah. And, and I'm I sure think that's what we're gearing for, for season three. Yeah. And we'll get into that. Cause I do have some ideas, I guess you can call them theories as to how they'll make the whole traveler aspect work in season three. So we'll get to that in just a few moments. 
Also, Seven Story ended up being a major highlight this season. It did. And we'll talk about that as well in a few moments here. And Q's actions were not cruel, but were, motiva- bleh, 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 but were motivated by his love for Picard. The yes. idea that he didn't want Picard to die alone. Something that was, in fact, happening to him. Yes. And th- that moment in the very end, it was probably the most emotionally poignant moments for me as a Star Trek fan because did you get a little emotional? Did you get a little admit it? Ever since as a fanboy, when you constantly hear people say that, Oh, Q is one of the greatest villains of all time. When people say that he's a villain. No, he isn't. Q is not a villain, not a villain. He has never been a villain. Never. Q has always been that, that foil to Picard as kind of like that, teacher or that mentor that basically wants to test his his metal. He's a philosophical writing device. Exactly. And that's the only way you can use him. Sure, in Voyager, they they use their episodes to kind of flesh him out as a as an individual character, and it worked just fine for Voyager. But when it came to Star Trek The Next Generation and Picard's story, it was always a it always was a philosophical purpose and it was always about Picard. And we'll talk about that more in depth as well. There's a lot to talk about. So let's just officially get into it. Okay. So we were in fact dealing with a predestination paradox or causal loop this whole time, though not thoroughly explained by way of exposition, the writers took a few simple steps to confirm that these events had happened before. For one, the key. Yes. That young Picard will use eventually to open the door and find his mother dead. Picard had to put the key back. Yeah. Or put the key into the wall behind the brick. The bullet holes all over Chateau Picard was also used as confirmation that these events had happened before. Before. Also, the most obvious one being, of course, Agnes as the Boar Queen. But we also had older Guinan. She was aware of these events and what needed to take place. But she, she just couldn't tell Picard. Right. So at the end of all of this, we were, in fact, dealing with a predestination loop. And this was done carefully enough that it didn't break anything. It actually strengthened ideas we've known of for years and Q's involvement with sending Picard and his team back possibly negates any split timeline issues. Yeah. That was something that we had gone on and on about this season. Do not mess up what you had established in discovery season three. Yeah. As we have continually said, they finally explained all the different split timelines and alternate realities and mirror universe and essentially put it under one name. They are split timelines brought on by time incursions. Yes. So if they were to just forget what they did just last year in discovery and said, fuck it, we're not even, we're not even going to talk about the split timeline thing. It would have felt a little lazy, especially since this is the exact same I don't want to say writing team, but it's the exact same um, executive producers for the most part. It's the Kurtzman era. They should all be under the same, I guess, goals, right? Yeah. Intent uh, and not undermine what the previous group of writers did on another show. So the fact that Q's involvement was 
was a part of their time travel and getting them back. I feel like without even having to state it, that negates the whole split timeline issue. Yeah, because and also everything that they've played around with, when you actually take a step back and see the puzzle pieces that they laid out, it makes more sense now that this wasn't going to be like a time altering event because I think the loop aspect alone also negates the split timeline. This is a a paradox loop. We're dealing with paradox loop because when you're dealing with establishing a now a faction, that's basically the travelers and the, and the supervisors who are there to make sure time incursions happen for a reason that everything has to flow in place and they're protecting it. Then you basically throw into the fact about like, you know, like what me and you have been talking about the last couple episodes about like how this is a, a paradox. It's a, it's a time paradox. Everything has to happen. If it's already happened, then there's no split. There's no split timeline. So everything that they're doing right now had to happen. Yeah. They had to basically be thought they had to be made to think that going back in time would set their time in mo- time back. But that's but because what? they need the mo- mo- <laughs> I know it's confusing at first, but they needed to actually think that going back in time yeah, was okay. going to fix their time problem. But their time problem was already fixed. Right. It's just the the way that that it was never technically messed up. This exactly. all needed to happen. It needed to happen. And it, it, you know what? It reminds me of all those stories of like uh, TNG in the past and the episodes with Guinan. We're at the yeah. end of the episode. Guinan knows that basically this is how it's supposed to go down. Yeah. The only time you get you should get worried is if Guinan basically says, "Oh, this is not how this is supposed to go." That's when you know something bad happens. But in every TNG episode where Guinan shows up and like you have the 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 play the 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 play between Picard and Guinan. In the end of the episode, what does Guinan always tell Picard? Oh, yeah, this was supposed to happen this way. I just couldn't tell you. Because what else does Guinan know? If I was Picard exactly. at this point, I'd be like, listen. It's one of the there, things I like. Is there anything else that you don't that you don't want to tell me? Exactly. That's what I loved about the character is like yeah. she knows everything. She absolutely knows everything that's going to happen. But let's get a Guinan series next. Oh, no, dude, you can't because it'd be just Guinan just sitting around watching everyone screw up. Yeah, you, that's a, you don't want to you don't even want to show at this point. You probably want to stay away from this species. Oh, that's why it, it's a tricky species because to it with. could fucking break your show if you're not careful. It nearly broke this show if you think about it, because everyone kept asking about the whole thing about, well, if Guinan knows. Doesn't exactly. know Picard. Yeah. How's it she knows him here? Dude, there's still blogs being posted explaining why it works. And there's yes. still people who are not reading or paying attention and are just, they're still upset. There are people who are still on Twitter upset that Guinan didn't know Picard. I'm like, do you not understand that that time never happened? happened because it hasn't happened. <laughs> yeah. So, all right. So Picard and Q, the way this was handled was I think was just, are you ready for this, Dave? Okay. The way the Picard and Q stuff was handled was just as emotional as Picard waking within Data's subconsciousness during the season finale last year. I'm extremely pleased with how they used Q. It had to end like this. 
Oh, I'll I'll raise raise you on that one and say this was done better than the data. this was done better than data because the whole because everything to get to this point was fully fleshed out and fully realized and fully earned. It was, that was earned. it was yeah. earned and like that's a good way of putting. It. Yeah, when you get to that point where Q is telling Picard, "Hey, you have to forgive yourself." That's the whole thing. We we everything happens for a reason, and. Maybe it's because some gigantic entity just has a favor in for you, but you, you yourself have to do it, move on and realize that all these, the, all the sacrifices that are made to you or made for you is because those people care about you and it's their choice. It's their life. You don't need to actually be punished yourself for their lives. And essentially that's what, in the end of the first season, that's what data was telling Picard is like, he was happy with all the choices he made. He just felt sorry that Picard felt so guilt ridden and made it about, made it abort more about it was his fault. No, it was data's choice. Yes. I agree with everything you just said. They really couldn't have handled this any other way. No, this is exactly how it needed to be done. Hugh couldn't be the villain. He had to be the thread that weaves intent and purpose. And we've said countless time, countless times, we said it just a few moments ago, Q has always been a philosophical writing device, mostly designed to flesh out Picard as a character. And taking this idea and using it in a way that takes everything we know about Picard and his intimacy issues, something that's been a defining element of Picard's characterization for a very long time, and then connected it to a singular, unresolved, emotionally traumatic event, it brings a level of resolve to a legacy character that we seldom get in long-running franchises. We don't get these types of closure, this type of closure, when it comes to long-running franchises. Either they don't want to let a character go, or it's just been overly muddled and their storyline's so murky that when we do get to an end of a character story in a franchise, it just doesn't resonate. There isn't that impact. But Picard, for the most part, has been a Star Trek character that's been very consistent ever since the very beginning of TNG. So to get to this point, when we are finally privy to why Q is doing what he's doing, it makes perfect sense. The, the purpose of all of this, as you were saying, was simply that Q wanted Picard to absolve himself. Yeah. He wanted Picard to accept his fate, accept himself, and by doing so, giving himself a chance to be loved. Yeah. It was about forgiveness, forgiving himself, and not always taking the blame for everything else. There was a line that Talon said, I, I'm going to paraphrase here because I don't remember exactly what she had said, but she said all those planets and all those people you saved, you're doing it because you didn't save one person. One person. Exactly. How powerful of a statement is that? And it just puts, it frames Picard so perfectly. Yeah. because and, and this is something that I think has always been debated about Picard is as great of a captain as he is, he doesn't. He doesn't take the losses well. He doesn't, you know, seem to have that notion in him that the needs of the many outweigh the needs of the few. To Picard, it's the needs of the few outweigh the needs of the many. Because when he loses someone, that one person means that so much more to him than anything else. 
And it's not in a selfish way. It's just, it's a, it's like almost like a, it's a grieving thing. It's a self penance. It's a self penance. It's like you he's know, punishing himself. It, it, and it all started, we can, we can see this thorough line back into TNG, but to the very beginnings when he lost Tasha Yar, mm-hmm. what happened? Mm-hmm. Picard, Picard, like literally had penance for a full season. I had a, I had a penis. Had a, <laughs> <laughs> <had> a penis. <laughs> that was the the worst reach of all time. <laughs> <laughs> I know. That was terrible. Go but ahead. The, the, for a full season back in TNG, he punished himself because he let Tasha die on that planet. And then like for her, for those actions to come back and haunt him, right? Mm-hmm. And he still carries on that weight to the very end throughout seven seasons. And then you take it to the life of data, taking Data's sacrifice and punishing himself because it should, uh, as Picard has said in the season one, it should have been him. And it's like, no data was the, at that moment in Star Trek nemesis, what did data do? He made that decision that Picard was more important than him. And he made that decision based on his own will. He wasn't forced to do it. He did it because he loved Picard. Yeah. Same thing with Q. Now, when you look at it with Q, it's much more, everyone says it's malicious, but I'm like, going, no, that whole ending proves everything that Q has done to Picard isn't out of maliciousness because it's more or less of a person wanting to communicate their concern to a friend yeah. when they can't. Well, and that's what really topped off the entire episode for me. It was when they clarified why Q did all this. Why did it matter? Because he didn't want Picard to die alone. Yeah. Like he was, like he, he was, was dying to. alone. He cared for Picard too much to watch him experience the pain of loneliness. And just when you think this couldn't get more emotional, Picard asks straight out why he matters so much. Why Picard? Why do I matter so much? And Q's reply was, why must it have a grand cosmic purpose? Purpose. It matters to me. To me. Dude, Dude, when he said that, listen, I'm not an overly emotional guy. I'm not going to lie. I got some tears in my eyes. I was like, holy fuck, that's powerful. Yeah, it's really, it's, it's, and it goes past beyond you know, a romantic relationship. It's just a pure relationship just at its purest. The reason why Q does this is because he cares for Picard. Yeah. Isn't that enough? I think that's beautiful, man. Exactly. It's, I mean, the amazingly beautiful thing to come out of all this as well was that Q found his purpose. His meaning was to bring happiness Picard's Picard's life life. by breaking him free of the shackles of his past, thereby giving Q himself a sense of purpose. A sense of purpose. And dude, that moment when that hug, man, that hug, holy, oh my God, God, that, that I, if you're a Star Trek fan and you didn't get a little, little teary, you're not human. You're not human. Everyone at that point knows Q's dead. He's dying. Yeah. He even said that sending him back, he's going to be, his end it's going to deplete him and he's going to die it was so it was so poignant because of how q reacts to picard yeah it's it's good i um when q 
like when they hugged and then Q put his head on Picard's head. I was like, oh God, I can't take it. (laughs) It was, I did not expect this type of finale. I knew it was going to be a good one just because of the direction they were going. I was nervous as I am because I'm a pessimistic douche, but I knew the way by the end of episode eight, I knew it was, it was going to end in a very emotional way. I just had a feeling with, with Talon developing a relationship with Picard and you know, whatever Soong was doing with Corey and then obviously the Q element, the Rios aspect, the seven aspect. I was waiting for something major to happen that was really going to pull on our heartstrings. And this was it. I will say this. In my opinion, because Akiva Goldsman wrote this episode and he wrote the fuck out of this episode. He might have just wrote one of the most emotional Trek conclusions in the history of Trek. And I know there is a lot, and I will say that this is up there with the death of Spock in Star Trek II, Data's death and Nemesis, uh, the general vibe and that definitive cl- conclusion uh, to Deep Space Nine season finale. Yeah. I mean, it's definitely on the top five, Dave. Well, also, the thing that I, I noticed in going back and looking at this episode was like the choices of those emotional beats was very well timed. It wasn't wasted. It wasn't, you know, the death of talent, uh, Talon meant something. It was to get, it was to spark that, that beginning of Picard's, I don't want to say descent into his psyche, but it was, that's the starting point when Talon makes that decision to die for Renee, because she wants to be able to, to matter something, to mean something in uh, in someone's life. And as she dies in Picard's arms, that's what she tells Picard. And then you, then you go to Picard now going off to dealing with his own death, recapping all that. And then the Q death happens. It was really well paced and well timed so that it didn't feel. They made the audience work for this moment. It didn't work. It didn't, it didn't, it didn't feel hallmarky. No, they made us work for it. What I mean by that is that the breadcrumbs were there yeah, the, the entire season. There. And that's why when we get to this point, all that emotion, all that emotions, it, it works as a floodgate because we had all of these elements leading up to this moment that made it work that much, that much more. Yeah. Because it, it the the two scenes that me and you are talking about where Q says it matters to me and then you you do the parallel of that in the very end where Picard basically as Q's making his final act Picard shows that final emotion of you're my friend I'm going to miss you and gives him that hug he's doing Picard is doing that for him because he cares about Q yeah when you think about it you take two characters who started it all. Q was there from the very beginning of TNG. Picard obviously was there. This is the ultimate bookend of a story. And when you think about it, Q does have a grand cosmic purpose because of his involvement and his attachment to Picard. We have the future we have. Yes. Meaning when I say we have, I mean, of course, in the world of Star Trek, think about that Starfleet and the Federation it rests on Q's shoulders. Yes. And of course, Picard. And Picard, because of his all, attachment they, to Picard. They both had a part to play in the very future that the Star Trek universe takes place in, which I 
I have no problem with that. I mean, these are two characters that are, I mean, they're the, they're the giants. They're the, they're giants. the giants of Star Trek in, and, very, in a lot of ways. And it's so weird because in this episode, when I think about it now, even like the storyline with uh, Eric, with Eric soon, how it ends with him looking at the folder for Project Khan. And essentially what that was saying was, this is the beginning of the eugenics war. Oh, it's this, not? The eugenics war already happened. Or not the, 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 basically, this is the beginning of Khan. Because of him pulling out the folder that says Project Khan on it. Khan was already around. It's, okay, so hold on. I'm going to get into that. Yeah. Um, and we'll dis- dissect it. So Adam Soong failed, right? Mm-hmm. But a few things came of it. He had said that Corey's creation will have to have some bigger purpose, right? Bigger purpose. I, I had said that Corey's creation will have to have some bigger purpose. And sure enough, with the return of Wesley Crusher, now known as the Traveler, he recruits Corey to be a Traveler. So that whole storyline right there has purpose. Taking, you know, elements in Trek canon, one from 50 plus years ago and another from 30 plus years and connecting them, supervisors and travelers, travelers keep things in balance, protecting aspects of the universe and timeline or timelines that must be, that must not be broken. It was effective. So at the end of the day, the Adam Soong storyline did work. Yes. From a writing standpoint, it removes Corey from the timeline. So there's no potential canon fuckery. And it sets the stage for a bigger story that will probably play some part in the third season. Perhaps they will connect Corey to Data's children. Perhaps she has a part to play in that. Because we also, there, there are some, I don't want to say plot holes, but there are some murky elements as to how Soji and this entire planet just came into existence, essentially. Yes. Highly evolved in, what, 20-some years. <laughs> so maybe Maybe she's a part of that. We will see. Soon failed, but right before we closed out, as you mentioned, we see him pick up a dingy looking folder that says Project Khan. Yes. Now we know that the eugenics war happened between 1992 and 1996. It already happened. At this point, Khan, I believe, was already with his group of, of followers were already launched into space in the Botany Bay. I'm so that up. that's yes. why I'm a bit confused. Now, either a, they, they could be doing a couple things here. Dr. Soong picking up the folder could simply be an Easter egg, giving us that confirmation that he was in fact a part of that project because was it episode five or episode four where we saw Adam Soong um, be essentially fired because of because of his unethical practices. Yes. I'm assuming they're all connected because if he is being accused of unethical practices within eugenics work, then it would make perfect sense that he had a a hand to play in the development of the augments. Yes. And the reason why that matters is because his descendant, Eric Soong, Eric, yeah. that was introduced in Enterprise, which I want to say is about 100 years or so later from this time, uh, time point. Yes. Roughly, give or take, a decade or so. He was also directly connected with the eugenics and the augments. We, we have talked about that in depth. And if you want more information on that, I believe that storyline takes place during Enterprise Season 3. Mm-hmm. And the thing that I think is, is like, we know in, because I'm looking up like the, uh, the 
timeline for the songs and everything. And Eric was in the 22nd century. So his, his, it says here that his uh, research was due to the fact of his, of, of his ancestor, Adam Sung. So Adam Sung's. What words? That's never been stated. Yeah. It says right here in the history, Sung, Eric Sung was a descendant of Adam Sung. Well, we know that, but I don't think his connection to Adam Sung is a brand new character that was made up this season. This is actually the memory alpha. This is the official Star Trek Just wiki. Send me that link because that sure. I think I think they're just drawing conclusions because it does make sense. Common sense will tell you that that's exactly what I was just saying. That it exactly. would make sense that Eric Soong had this part to play with the augments and Enterprise because of Adam Soong's um, hand he might have played in creating the augments to begin the augments with. Augments to begin with. So we're getting into the weeds here of Star Trek, and I don't really care to get into all that because we just <laughs> can get lost for another hour. But oh, my point is, is that Project Con for them to do that. There's two things: either a, it's just an Easter egg that will clue in fans who are aware of the multiple connections. Or this will somehow pay off during season three. That's what I'm thinking. I feel like when you have a moment like a folder being focused on in a close-up, that's more than just an Easter egg. If I was writing this show, that wouldn't be, I wouldn't, in my mind, this wouldn't be an Easter egg. This would be a clue as to what may happen in season three. Mm -hmm. But do we really want the whole con thing being opened up again? Personally, I don't really care to get involved with that. However, David, let's put a pin in that because it may have some connections to bigger elements. Yes. That we're going to talk about when we get into theories. It seems like both Seven and Picard were being written with parallel agendas this season. And that's why ultimately this season really worked well for me is using the theme of accepting yourself worked with story this season as well and by doing so it helped with some of the murky character developments or i should say character development last season for seven now that we've gotten to the end i can see how much of this season actually helped me with the issues i had with last season's version of seven uh, last season she was on this murderous trek to avenge itchub is that his name itchub yeah itchub And she was a member of the the Rangers. But there was a disconnect, in my opinion. How did she get from the events of Voyager to this? I don't have a problem with her being Sarah Connor in the first season. My problem is that there is is 20-plus years of history pertaining to Seven and Nine that we have no idea about we have we don't know anything about what's happened to seven over over 20 some years and the first thing we see is that she is a gun toting angel of death yes and they never really fully work through that they give her this weak motivation about vengeance sure at the end of the day it may work and after the events of season two i'm willing to accept that a bit more I find it all a little bit more believable and more consistent after this season when you take into account that the Federation rejected her because she's Borg. 
and the death of each of this works better. And ultimately, we were given a seven that felt more consistent with the one from Voyager, a complicated character that struggled with her emotions. Yeah. I'm not saying she didn't have anger. We saw her harbor tons of anger, but it was more a type of angst in Voyager. It was more a type of frustration because she had tasted a semblance of perfection being Borg. And she was always trying to reach for that as a, simply a human. And that was her frustration and many times that would manifest into some emotions that she needed to keep in check. But the anger that we saw her have in the first season, it didn't quite work. But after this season, knowing that the Federation turned their back on her, I'm willing to accept it a bit more. Oh, yeah. And I've, and I've always said this, David, I'm willing to accept anything. This isn't my story. Oh, yeah. I don't I'm not writing it. I'm willing to accept anything as long as it feels consistent and it makes sense. And and a lot of the work that they they did this season with seven really made things feel better. And as long as like as long as basically there's a thought process behind it. Yeah, that's the thing is like they're not throwing their ideas at the wall and hoping that it sticks. The whole thing with seven that whole there the last episode that me and you discussed about prior to the season finale that one moment when they had seven say to Rafi that even Janeway was going to actually resign mm-hmm. and the, the way that simple line and that simple delivery for for Jerry Ryan to kind of show how seven felt about that says so much mm-hmm about her character's journey. And like, yes, we would love to see that moment in full screen and everything, but at least we get this little window now. And if it leaves that window open for future writers to say, okay, let's go back and actually delve into that now. Yeah. Well, imagine, see, and this is why connecting the dots and not just, if you're taking a character that we haven't seen for 20 plus years, you have to fill in some of the blank spots. Otherwise you're going to have these types of questions and issues that some of the audiences, myself included had with seven last season. Mm -hmm. It's not that it's not believable. It's just, we needed a little bit more to back it up. Yeah. And now that we have been given that now, if I were to go back and watch season one, I probably wouldn't be as frustrated because I understand with seven story, David, don't laugh. <laughs> I wouldn't be as frustrated because I feel like it does work now knowing what we know. No. Okay. Yeah, that's true. I will agree with you there that basically if you were to go back and rewatch season one solely for the seven stuff, that makes sense. Yeah. Everything else. And we know and we know that she's been a fighter. We know that she's capable of fighting. In fact, that there was an entire episode where she learned hand-to-hand combat and just murdered people. I forgot the name of the episode. So it's not that she's not capable. We know that she's capable. Um, but I do feel at the end of the day, this conclusion it brought a lot better resolve for the character. Oh, that- yeah, especially when Picard gave symbolically the calm to seven I love and seven sat in the captain's chair. That is how you do moments like that Mm -hmm. where you get moments like that. I wish I was like Odo and I could shape shift to the captain's seat and then she could just (laughs) just sit on my face. (laughs) Oh, wow. David, I was trying to say it a little more uh, respectful. (laughs) If you're going to turn into the chair, 
for for seven of nine, Mike, you got to make it count. Listen, if I was Odo, I'd, you gotta be, think I'd like be dangerous. Barkley. Think I'd be, like Barkley. <laughs> I'd be dangerous. Like, listen, if seven used a dildo, I'd just turn it into a dildo. Is that inappropriate? <laughs> Why is my dildo moving? I don't, don't, don't question it. It's a special feature. <laughs> And this is why Barkley was sophisticated because he kept all those, all those dark secrets in the holodeck. That's fucking creepy. We need to change the topic immediately. <laughs> so the Rio story ended up having a greater purpose after all. It was one of the dragging elements for me this season, was, just because it, it felt like it was, it wasn't really going anywhere. It didn't really have a greater purpose, but by the end they gave us that greater purpose. You find out that his storyline this season was, was about a few things. Uh, number one, the boy that he would raise with Teresa will end up saving the ocean on earth by using the alien organism found during Renee Picard's Europa mission. Yes. So at the end, Dave Rio's story did matter. Yeah. It, it doesn't fix some of the, a bit of the meandering issues we had, but at the end of the day, the storyline did matter and it does work. And it does work, and it comes to a conclusion. That's the important part. It's sad it that Rios to, will be no more. Yeah. Although, dude, I did like the fact that Guinan says he dies in a bar fight oh, with a cigar in his mouth. I know. Still. That's gangster. And I'm like going, that's gangster. That's how Rios should go. Yeah. <laughs> I was happy with it. I wasn't, I really wasn't unhappy with it. Pretty much, you know, I wasn't unhappy with anything that they did in this episode. No, I wasn't. I, I mean, like we'll get to it, Dave. Hold on. I know you're ready to <laughs> jump out of there. So lastly, uh, once the final elements of the season were wrapped, we were taken back to the 24th, 24th century where the new Borg Queens intent is made clear. She was there to mitigate a devastating galactic event that would then create a trans warp conduit and the new Boar Queen's desire to join the Federation is motivated to stand guard at the gate because whatever created the conduit represents a great threat. So let the theories begin. I can only imagine that this would be the big event for season three. What are we dealing with? The super AIs introduced in season one. Also, I should say the, the obvious connection to the trans warp conduit is clear we know that the this is borg technology yes so it made me think that we might be dealing with one of the greatest mysteries of star trek of all time are you ready for this okay are we dealing with the very ones that created the borg there you go is that what and you thought too that's what i thought to uh, th thought so too because you gotta remember the where gerardi left off she went off with the borg queen to the Delta Quadrant, where we all know, apparently that's where the Borg originated from, and they went hiding. So, for 400 years, Gerardi as the Borg Queen has been in hiding from something well, out so, there in the Delta Quadrant. Well, from the she's hiding from history. It also seems like she doesn't know what it is, because if she would have said, when they said, hey, we've never seen a trans conduit a transwarp conduit like this, I'm sure at this point, the Borg queen would have said, well, this is what it is. Yeah. So that leads me to believe that she or the Borg, this version of the Borg don't know what it is. However, if we are dealing with a transwarp conduit, deductive reasoning tells us that, Hey, look, if we're dealing with Picard, if, if the writers, the writers seem to 
be closing out big story elements from the TNG era. Yes. The next big story element that was introduced in the TNG era was the Borg. Yeah. And then the question that was posed, I want to say in first contact, was who created the Borg? The Borg Queen had said that they were much like humans at one point until yes. they decided to better themselves. So maybe we're dealing with the very first version of the Borg or a singular creator of some type. Perhaps the creators were the super beings. Exactly. And I'm not, not the super beings, the super AI, super I AI. Say, from season one. And you got to also throw in the fact that basically they, whatever created the trans-dimensional, basically a wormhole or the conduit, yeah. specifically aimed it right at Earth. Yeah. <laughs> because the, that was the whole point was like they, that conduit opened up so that they can shoot whatever beam that was out and hit Earth. Wait, what? Because remember, super- that's why that's why they that's why they formed that shield because that yellow beam shot out, and that that was the thing that they had to deflect. Hmm. I thought it was like some something exploded. I thought no, it was a beam. If you go back uh, and watch it, because I watch, I, I had to clarify that because if it was an explosion, that's one thing. They just said a galactic event. They didn't say there was there was an attack. Exactly. It, to them, it was a galactic event. Because think about it. If something like that shot a, be- a beam of energy that powerful that could destroy a planet. <laughs> no, I'm not saying it wasn't intentional. The galactic event was definitely intentional. In it was order intentional. To, but it was to create the transwarp conduit. So but explain explain when it got created. Go back and watch it. A beam of energy, much like, say, a... Normal beam and beam of and uh, a beam of energy that's used to by ships shoots out of the shoots out of the the hole, and that's what they have to deflect. <laughs> when another conduit shows up, that usually means that another invading army is possibly around the corner. Yes, David. Obviously, I mean they said that there's a threat. This represents a threat. There's something on the other side something that created this. Side. Yes. So we will see what it is if. In my opinion, it should be the super AIs from season one, because if season three is to be our last and final season, it would make sense be- would. to wrap that up, to bring some resolve or conclusion to that aspect. Because as it stands, you see this wormhole open and then it closes. Yes. And we saw these Dr. Octopus looking androids come out. Wasn't it like these tentacles that were coming yes. out? Yeah. So we'll see what happens. I'm definitely excited and looking forward to season three. I'm no longer cautious. I feel like these writers have a handle on Star Trek, a far greater handle than the group that was in charge of season one. The new showrunner working with Akiva Goldsman, I think ultimately did a fantastic job with the season. Yeah. As I said, there were some bumps in the middle part that didn't quite work very well for me for, for a, from a writing standpoint, story-wise, the entire season works as a, as a, as a story, mm-hmm. but the narrative and how it was structured, it had some issues in the midsection, but the opening quarter and the final quarter, I feel were great bookends and worked really well to bring a a sense of resolve to some very big story elements in the world of Star Trek. And 
it mattered as well in the bigger picture. So not only do we have the more intimate aspects, you know, Picard and Q, but then we have this character like Q. They brought this character to a satisfying conclusion as well. Then you have the greater story being set up, possibly dealing with the traveler and Corey. Uh, Possibly project Khan has something to do with this. The transwarp conduit, the pieces are there for a, we also know that the rest of the TNG crew is coming back next season for some strange reason. (laughs) Seven of nine is probably going to be a captain now. So there are some really cool things to work with going into season three. Yes. So there's a lot to look forward to. Those were my final thoughts, Dave. I'm going to give this episode a 98% because in my opinion, it was nearly perfect. Uh, Go to give me your final thoughts and your score, and then we'll jump into some potential. You know what, David? I don't have anything else to say. If you have some (laughs) negativity that you you want to... just a um, little, just a little, not a lot. Over here, then no, go ahead. I'm not going to. I'm not going to be one of those Star Trek haters. No, Dave, it's okay. You you do struggle sometimes. <laughs> I do struggle, but overall, I actually did like the finale. But as I uh, I say that, I also still find myself frustrated too with the finale because I feel frustrated in the sense that the writers had to make had to basically fix do a lot of fix up from the the middle of the season where the narrative dragged so they literally slammed it in slammed it in uh, slammed their narrative into warp drive and in the end you're like going okay so let's fix a couple things let's write off rios okay at least you gave him a a conclusion but at the end of the day when it came when it came to it mike i felt a little what was the point of the character at the end of the day? <laughs> so everything this past season just didn't matter, but we got him to a conclusion where his legacy still matters. Yes. But his narrative throughout the entire season just didn't, didn't flow well. It didn't matter. And then you have Raffi and seven. That's the only thing that I'm like going, they've really tried to force even the very end when that wasn't part of seven story. That wasn't even part of Raffi's story. Raffi's story is about this person who wants to get back Elnor because she has, you know, mother issues and wants to actually make up for, you what, know, what wasn't son. their story. You're losing me. What, what, what wasn't their story? Basically, their their whole relationship, the whole loving, the the whole oh, their lovers moment. I have to disagree with you, Dave, because they're that was pretty much their entire story. The whole the, lovers the, thing, not the really. Whole, the whole because- season, they're talking about the relationship. Seven was trying to put priorities first, and Raffi was constantly bringing it back to their relationship. So their relationship was pretty much talked about the entire season. But you know that basically their motivations had nothing to do with that relationship. The motivation for Rafi was, I need to get back Elnor. That was it. <laughs> that was that was her motivation throughout the entire season to get from point A to point B. If you were to give, uh, if you were to assign a character arc to each of these characters, then yes, I would yeah. say that Rafi was, her personal storyline was about Elnor. Yes. And that that's the thing. But it's their relationship... Like- being put in the back burner, but still there, it was on simmer. It, it, it was part. It was a part of the entire season it from was. the very beginning, and it was alluded to 
or touched on at least once in every episode. And that's what I think is that I, I'm getting a little, I got a little frustrated because their motivations don't match their story. Their, their, their actual story that they're being given in the, in the season, right? If it's going to be, if Raffi's story is going to be about the relationship with her and Seven, make it about her and Seven. Don't even throw in Eleanor. And that's why, even with those frustrations, Mike, I still gave this finale, like, an, at the end of the day, a 95. Yeah. Because it's it it's well done and it's well paced. It's just that, again, this is one of those things where just in 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 my opinion, the superficialness of the, the, the character, so the two character arcs just leaves a bad taste in my mouth when you have, but you have such a great story with Q and Picard, Gerardi and the board queen and seven story that helped cover it up that helped cover it up. But I can't negate the fact that essentially two of your characters, they really didn't matter. When you take when when I stopped and really thought about it, and David, it. guess what? And they don't matter. So you're right; they mm-hmm. don't matter. So who cares? Matter. Like I honestly, they're not the focus of the season, and I care about Picard and Seven, the mm-hmm. legacy characters that most people would care about. And because that their because their stories were ultimately handled well, I'm I I really don't care as long as Rio's story didn't suck and mm-hmm. Raffi's story didn't suck, which it didn't. Th- then I, at the end of the day, I'm. I'm fine with it. Yeah. But I do understand where you're coming from because these are things that we've had problems with for a long time. But look, give the, the, the producers credit, though, because they were willing to cut characters that weren't needed. Yeah. Look at Soji. Soji. Soji's character was all but written out. All but written out, which I applaud them for. Because Elnor that. was all Elnor. but written out. So they were willing to get rid of characters. I don't want to call it dead weight, but I mean... If, Essentially, that is it when is, you're writing a series and you can't find purpose for these characters unless unless you force it. This season, they were willing to cut that baggage and say, hey, you know what? If we don't need this, then we don't need to put it in there. And that is one of the biggest things that I take away from this season. Why it's better than season one. Season two was much better polished. I thought that basically the, the writing was more succinct mm-hmm. and and composed better. The characters were treated much, much better. I mean, much better. David, and some of the problems you're having, I think, has to do with your problems from last season. It does. And imagine if Akiva 100%. Goldsman and I always forget of the new showrunner as well. Um, um, Ma- Terry Matalas. Matalas. Imagine if Akiva Goldsman was working with Matalas last year. Oh, yeah. We probably wouldn't even have these little little issues. Mm -mm. So at the end of the day, Dave, I've been using that phrase a lot lately, and I'm going to use it again. At the end of the day, this was a successful season. It wasn't perfect. Yes. But I would say it's a successful season. And looking at our scores for the past 10 episodes for this season, it brings us to a season score of 80%. Sometimes, David, our episodic score, our score per episode, doesn't always reflect how we feel at how the we end. Feel. Because you know what the weirdest part? If you were to ask me to give a score for the for the entire season, I actually came up with an 82. Yeah. And that's pretty much where we are. Yeah, <laughs> it, it actually works. Sometimes it doesn't work that way, but it actually does work this time around when you 
yeah, when you break down how we felt generally, I would definitely give this season a solid 80%. Mm-hmm. Oh, by far. And, uh, and is there anything else we want to bring up before we close out? Any, um, do we want to bring up the, the itch up thing that I was talking about? Oh yeah. And well, there's a lot of things we, if you wanted to bring up any of our theories for next season. Okay. I will let you play around with that in a second. Now, the only thing that I feel is a bit of an inconsistent aspect but I'm willing to look the other way. That's why I didn't put it in the bulk of my notes because I, why drag down our, our main discussion with something that at the end of the day, there it is again, doesn't really matter. They stated that seven to nine was rejected by Starfleet because she was Borg. Itchub was also Borg. Yes. And in season one, they said that he worked as a Starfleet officer for 10 years. Eh, so there's a little bit of an issue there. That doesn't make a lot of sense. So seven and nine out, but itch up in. Why? Exactly. And those are the types of problems that happen when you are trying to course correct a season. And that's exactly, I don't care if you love the first season. I hope you did. I don't want anyone to hate Star Trek. I think that gets lost sometimes when we, talk about our issues with season one of Picard, I get some emails, at least five or six per episode where some of them justify Picard season one and some of them agree with us. Mm -hmm. But I don't want anyone, even the people agreeing with us, don't agree with me because you hate Picard. Picard. Because I don't hate the show. Oh, yeah. I was very disappointed with the writing of last season, not the story. The writing, how that story was dispensed, that is my problem. How the story was executed. With Matalas and Akiva Goldsman coming in, if you understand the nuances of the writing craft for screenwriting, you would see the vast improvement in the way this story is told as opposed to how that season was told. When we have these little issues with each of and seven of nine, I'm willing to look the other way because Akiva Goldsman and Matalas was trying to make lemonade with, how's that saying go? <laughs> making lemonade with oranges. I don't know. Making lemons out of lemonade. There or we, making lemonade out of lemons. Yeah, there you go. Like they were trying to make it work without shitting all over the first season. They were trying their best to take the stuff that really worked with for that really worked in that first season of Picard and bringing it into the second season. And that's another thing that I, I respect these writers for doing. I don't like when showrunners, new showrunners come in and they shit all over what was done before. Yes. In my opinion, these producers and writers, which a good portion of them were also a part of season one, the leadership's a little different. They weren't trying to shit all over what was done in season one. If anything, they were trying to help it out. Yeah. They were trying to take what they were given and basically say, okay, if, if we have to use these characters, let's use these characters in some capacity that makes them relevant within our narrative. Yeah. Okay, Dave. So you want to get into some ludicrous, <laughs> ludicrous theories really fast? We have well, a couple Mike, minutes. Well, Mike, you know, I, I started thinking about it and I'm like, you know, I've been really good with the really out there theories, out there theories called the Wesley Crusher, the traveler thing. Called the Borg Queen, called Q. Okay. And I've I've read this rumor as well, and I agree with it, Mike. 
we have a new portal that just a, a new trans warp conduit that has just opened up. Mm-hmm. It's very similar to Deep Space Nine. I think. Oh God. We're going to have the prophets come back. No, and we're wh- going to have David, Cisco come back. Why will we have the prophets in the trans warp conduit? That's where Cisco went. No, he went into a wormhole, David. <laughs> he went into a wormhole. Yes. This is a what trans. Is there are different types of wormholes, David. This <laughs> no, is not the same type I, of wormhole. I know. That, I know. I know what you're thinking. It's a different. It's different, Mike. I'm telling you right now. Something tells me they're going to say it's the same thing next season. No, David. Please don't say that because that's a horrible idea, and I don't want it. <laughs> It's just going, and it's going to be. I, I, I have a, I have a, I have a, I have a, I have a gut feeling it's going to be like what they said in what we left behind, just to irk the people in Deep Space Nine. No, that they're going to open it up. With Cisco showing up on a ship, David, shut up! <laughs> I'm closing the show out. That, you know, you just lost all uh, all theory privileges. Avery Brooks is back. No, we're next done. Season okay, three. I want to thank everyone for listening. Be sure to find us <laughs> on iTunes and Spotify. Those are our preferred places. Uh, leave us a review. Give us a thumbs up rating, please. It helps other. Potential audiences find our show. Also head over to Patreon, patreon.com slash Rayman Digital and pledge $5 or more a month. And you'll gain access to all of our additional podcasts. We do every single month pertaining to the world of Star Trek, as well as our behind the scenes pre-show where we kind of talk and get not kind of talk. We do talk and we get into topics that we may not have time to get into on our regular show and we also might get into some new breaking star trek news that we don't want to wait to discuss on a news update show so patreon.com/raymandigital pledge we do need to reach a minimum of 100 subscribers in order for us to continue to do shows otherwise we do need to make some cutbacks the network has already cut i want to say 45% yeah. From our free side over the last 12 years, we have just continued to put out free, 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 free content. And now moving into 2022, we had to cut by 45% from the Patreon side. We've only cut about 5%. We probably will increase our production on the Patreon side. If we get to that 100 subscriber point that I want to get to. I'd rather put out more content for our subscribers over there than continue to put out free content that doesn't really help us in the end because we put a lot of work into these shows, a lot of time and money put into operating the studio. I burned through probably $15, $20 worth of power just to keep the studio on per hour when we're recording. You got to have the air conditioning pumped up. Otherwise, the equipment will blow up because it gets hot here. We're in Arizona. So we'll please, hands warp conduit. Oh, David, you've, you've lost all. You can't even speak. I'm gonna turn your mic off. <laughs> all right, thank you, everyone. Thank you, David. Thank you. Live long and prosper. I couldn't help but notice your pain. My pain. It runs deep. Share it with me. End simulation.